This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. So today on the podcast, we launch a new five-part mini-series called Behind the Console. It will highlight women and non-binary audio engineers. It's a still very male-dominated field. The University of Southern California calculated that only 3% of Grammy-nominated songs were engineered by women. And the organization Soundgirls estimates that women only make up 5% of the professional workforce in audio. So today, we talk with two mastering engineers who put the final touches on music before it's released. We'll talk with them about the gender inequities they have seen both at home and abroad. First up is Rachel Field. She's a motorcycle riding mastering engineer and studio owner at Resident Mastering in Seattle. She's worked on albums from Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam. To the local acts Thunder Pussy. And Whitney Monjay. So maybe, 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 maybe you'll say that you'll be mine. I've seen a video of you talking about just getting into this line of work and what are the biggest challenges, to, you know, mm-hmm. technically in mastering. And one of the challenges that you said, you're like, this isn't technical, but one of the challenges is being a woman in this specific <laughs> line of work. And I'm curious if you can elaborate on that a little more. I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I love that this is a conversation now. It wasn't for a while. And so I really appreciate that these conversations are happening. So thank you. Getting into this industry, I I think I was a little bit naive when I first decided to go for it. As in, I, I didn't know that it was a male-dominated field. I had no idea. <laughs> but it became really obvious really quickly. And just in addition to the, like not to downplay it, but the garden variety misogyny and sort of sexism that we face just in day-to-day stuff. There was, um, it seems like a little bit of a concentrated dose of it when you're trying to sort of forge your way in a male-dominated field. And there was a lot of sort of presumption that I wouldn't be able to know technical information or perform any sort of technical tasks Which is just really strange, but it also is a little bit handicapping to break into to an industry. Like the stress involved with trying to manage that known perception of you because of your gender and trying to gracefully or not gracefully withstand the sometimes crass and outright demeaning commentary while trying to work and trying to learn a a craft is sometimes it's a lot you know it's a really steep uphill climb that not everybody trying to break into the industry faces so I, I think male presenting people don't face that as much because there's really this presumption that you're capable and you know stuff and what has some of that commentary been along the way? Like if you're trying to get work done and like, what are like some examples that you're like, oh God, that felt so icky when that happened to me? Literal comments about my ass as I reach across the console for an EQ knob or just constant commentary about my my body and and then just sort of like less overt stuff like, 
things that are intended to be compliments, like, oh, you really bring the feminine touch to this product project. And <laughs> it's like, what does that even mean? I don't, you know, it just, it just was tough there for, in a couple of instances to get through some of that. And then just like, like still general day-to-day stuff where I answer the phone at the studio that I own and engineer at, and the presumption is that I'm the secretary. Things like that. And and even after, even in a lot of email exchanges, the presumption is that I, I couldn't possibly know technical answers to technical questions. It just beats you down after a while. No kidding. And, and you know, a lot in this career, and I've talked to some other people about this, is so much about, you know, who you work with is who you know. Like, I was mm-hmm. talking to Jen Champion, you know, who's from Seattle now living in L.A. and writing pop music. And, you know, she was like, it's always kind of like, yeah, I got a guy. And then you tell the people about the guy that you work with or whatever. And then it just becomes like six or nine people get the same credits on the same albums and you don't end up diversifying. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you get to the point where you're able to break through and start getting credits and it's not just the same six or nine guys getting the same audio engineering work over and over and over again? Yeah, totally. And that, that's been a great conversation lately too. And that whole sort of nepotism is is part of why it is difficult right now for for skilled and experienced women engineers to break through. And I think that what really needs to be happening is since credits will get you credits and it's difficult to get credits without credits, <laughs> uh, I think it's important for labels and producers, engineers and artists to make a deliberate concerted effort to diversify the the pool of options when they're choosing who they're going to work with, you know. And that 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 doesn't mean choose someone that's not right for the project. That means consider that there might be somebody of another demographic that might be right for the project. Basically, what I'm saying is see if you can throw a a female presenting or non-binary engineer into the pool for consideration when you're choosing who to work with. How do you think this is playing out for women musicians? I mean, they're also working with a lot of male producers and engineers. I cannot tell you how many times a woman musician has come into my mastering studio, sat on the couch and breathed a sigh of relief simply because they were working with a woman. And, and and a lot of times working with a woman in the engineer position for the first time. And um, that conversation often turns into stories about experiences they've had with other engineers behaving really inappropriately, um, harassing, you know, inappropriate touching, uh, condescending remarks, uh, just all, all the stuff, you know, that uh, misogyny produces and i have heard of these stories from even some pretty pretty well-known prominent producers and engineers here in seattle and it's uh it's heartbreaking for one but it's infuriating for another and there's just no reason to be that unprofessional or predatorial i guess in in that position so 
And it feels like it's a trickle down too. Like if this is what's happening when you're recording an album and artists are feeling this way, like does it discourage artists from making more art if they're not a dude? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and women artists who aren't getting proper credit. I've been in recording sessions where maybe even the lead artist in the band has an opinion to voice and they just get brushed over and a lot of stuff like that, you know, and, it, and it's, it just sucks. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> but I also, I, I think you've also said that like you got into mastering because you, you wouldn't have to face so much of that pushback constantly. Yeah. Like let's say if you were constantly recording with bands and asking them to do more takes, you might get more pushback versus mastering. You're like, I have this place to myself. I have more control. Can you talk a little about that, about even just how that dynamic may have influenced you to just specifically go into mastering? Yeah, and and that's a really great point. And I actually hadn't really realized that aspect of my decision to focus on mastering until somewhat recently, but I definitely feel safer in so many ways in my own studio that I own that I can tell people to get out of at any time. And I have complete control over the session. And that definitely is a safety and security thing where, you know, I I don't spend a lot of time nitpicking or arguing with people that are, are just doing that because they want to display power. I don't have to waste my time and energy with a lot of that. And, and especially, I you know, I did live sound just a, a little bit here and there. And I several times didn't really feel that safe with people at different different levels of intoxication coming up to me to talk to me about whatever and all that kind of stuff. Like I just, I don't have energy for that. <laughs> that was my conversation with mastering engineer Rachel Field with a perspective on what being a woman engineer is like here in the States. And my next guest has a slightly different perspective. Engineering was off the table as a career option for her until she immigrated to America. And over time, she's seen more and more women enter the field here in the States. Hi, my name is Heba Kadri. I'm a mastering engineer in Brooklyn, New York. I mean, I've worked with everyone from Bjork. Lucy Dacus. Slow Dives for a first album in 20 years. The Morris Volta. So you are from Egypt, um, and I understand that you felt that you couldn't be an audio engineer in Egypt. And I'm just curious from your perspective, like what that was like in Egypt, and then how that informs if you feel like there are gender inequities in this particular field in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Egypt is, we have a problem in Egypt with the with extreme uh, gender inequity. Women are really treated quite poorly. And in a way, it was, it's kind of what I, you know, I grew up in, a, in that environment, knowing that like, you know, you as a woman, you have all of these expectations of you, like, okay, you finish school, you get married, and then, you know, you start a family. And that's that, you know, that's the most that you can aspire for. And even though I, w I grew up in a, in a, surrounded by that kind of society and the way women are 
quite shut in or, you know, the men are, are like kind of allowed to kind of frolic wherever they wanted to go. But women had to always sort of be careful because there, there was a real fear. Like, you know, there's a sexual harassment problem that is only now becoming surfacing where people are, are finally able to talk about it really thanks to the Me Too movement. And of course, because of that, like my, I grew up in a very protective family. Like my, my parents were always so scared of anything that could happen to me. Um, even though, of course, I wanted to rebel and do whatever my brother was able to do, but I couldn't do those things. I couldn't go out at night. I couldn't, you know, because I, you know, it was, it was, uh, it made sense that they were just really quite afraid that, that I, uh, you know, could get harmed or, or experience something horrible. And, and that was quite stifling. It was a stifling experience to be in. And, you know, of course, music was a was an escape. It was an escape for me to dream of something bigger. And, and of course, I, I found my way interested in audio. And, and, and audio was like an escape hatch for me to pursue this thing that I, I knew was really difficult to pursue in Egypt. I mean, being a woman in a recording studio in Cairo would have been a, a very difficult task. And in, in fact, when I when I was in a recording studio in downtown Cairo, one of the engineers, the first engineers that I met when I was very interested in the field, and I was like, "Hey, man, how do I how do I become you? Like, what do I need to do?" And he was like, "Look, you need to go to audio school. You need to get your basics down. But I need to warn you, like, being a woman in in this field is going to be very difficult." And I was like, "Okay." well, I see a ceiling there that I need to break and mm. I need to do something about that. And I, I just kind of sort of went into it like I just dove into this thing, not really realizing, like not even having a fraction of like the difficulty that I would would face. So of course I had to travel. I came to the States and I, I went to audio school here, which was fantastic. I mean, I was one one of only four girls in that school, which is better than you know what you would think like there were four girls or maybe five and how many guys were there i think there were like 50 maybe 50 or 60 yeah. in our in our class so yeah i mean there obviously is a big disparity and and there is a disparity of course in the industry like women are you know the ratio of 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 men to women is is far far greater and i think that that's because you know i was just thinking the other day like why why is that a problem? Like why, you know, women have, have worked in plenty of technical fields. What is it about audio that's very guarded? Like why is it so shut in? And I realized that like there have been women in audio. There have been women in audio since like the 50s. Like people like Gladys Hopkowitz, who was like one of the first independent mastering engineers to start her own studio in, in the city. And then there on the other side of the pond, there, there was like Beryl Ritchie, who... I think she passed away in 2013, but she she worked throughout the 70s for, for DECA and she actually sued her employer for discrimination because, you know, she would train all of these young men to learn how to cut on a lathe and then they would make more money than her. Mm. Um, and another engineer that I recently discovered that I never heard of, who was absolutely inc- incredible, her name's Wilma Cozart Fine, who was a pioneer in the 50s and the 60s. She actually like developed recording techniques for classical recordings and then did like a lot of uh, classical, you know, mastering of catalogs for Mercury Records. Um, sorry, for Decca Records, I believe, in the 80s until she passed away. So the thing is, is like there, there were women and even though they were a minority, 
you never heard of them. Like they Mm. were not under the spotlight. So if you don't see women under the spotlight from way back when, we have so much catching up to do now to spotlight these women. And that's why I'm really grateful that you're doing the show because we are very much out there. Uh, We're just not, it's kind of maybe hard to find us. It's, it's, uh, we're not so as well known as some of these other more famous engineers who've been around for 30 years, even though they've had peers who were women, but they've just always kind of gotten shafted under the under the limelight. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's it's representation is non-existent. Like it really mm. is is not there. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope I'm glad that that's changing because there's definitely way far more women now working in audio than when I first started. Like I. I work with at least one record a week that was either produced, engineered, or mixed by a woman. At least, you know, mm. one or two. So multiply that by, I don't know how many weeks there are in a, a year, but, they're, they, you know, they're out there. That was Mastery Engineer Habakadri for our new miniseries, Behind the Console. Coming up next in the series, we'll hear from Susan Rogers, who engineered for Prince for four years and did not get a lot of sleep in order to keep up with his hyper-creativity. You take a shower, you get into bed, and it'd be two hours of sleep, and that phone would ring. And it would either be him or someone who worked for him saying, uh, Susan, uh, he's, he's ready to go again. That's coming up next time on Sound and Visions Behind the Console. If you like what you've heard so far in this series or just in this podcast in general, I'm hoping that you could take one minute and do me a huge favor. Subscribe, rate, and review Sound and Vision in your podcast app or share an episode with a friend. KEXP is not about algorithms. We are about building community as a listener-supported radio station here in Seattle. So join this community of Sound and Vision listeners by helping spread the word about this show. And if you want to go the extra mile, please consider a one-time $20 donation to help support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.